Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Silver and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world and we always will be. So with this show I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together let's ask the world's biggest questions, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to Evolve. Hey everyone, welcome to Evolve. Today's guest is a founder, entrepreneur, triathlete, musician, and art lover who is revolutionizing the arts while honoring the profoundly human aspects of collecting. What started as a t-shirt competition at an art fair in Brazil has democratized and modernized the acquisition process through the first crowdsourced art and design platform with over 9,000 artists from around the world. This purpose-driven art platform is working across three continents, has sold over 1,100 pieces of art in the last two years, is the world's biggest invent, uh, inventory-free art gallery, and has a clientele from the $6 billion hospitality industry, such as Zola, Gilt, and Hilton. Yet despite being the daughter of an artist and an art dealer, with her family being one of the oldest players in Brazilian modern art, she initiated her career in finance in one of South America's leading hedge funds before leaving to make a difference and providing a solution which did not exist in a world that ran through her DNA, the arts becoming an activist for change, and wielding the visual arts as a tool for transformation, they have adopted a 100% conscious capitalist model, partnering with numerous nonprofit organizations such as Oceanic Global to build out massive campaigns to raise awareness for social and environmental causes such as ocean uh, conservation and female empowerment. Sharing her mission to change the way people live through spreading art, she has been featured in publications around the globe, including Forbes, GQ Magazine, Vogue, Global News, and many more, and is even starring in the third season of the startup hit show, Meet the Drapers, from media powerhouse Tim Draper. I'm honored to welcome CEO and co-founder of Alpha, one of New York's 33 under three, uh, 33 entrepreneurs, and a multi-talented woman who can raise funds in the morning and mix together some deep house beats in the evening, <laughs> Manuela Sevi. Well, firstly, I'm very, very impressed by your research skills. Like, you know, that's that's a full bio right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you. Uh, I want to talk about where you guys first started in Rio in 2014 with just this little T-shirt initiative. What happened during that art fair that made you say this really could be a thing? Sure. So I think that's actually a very interesting point in the company for a couple of different reasons. One, it's when we really touched on, on the on the point that, you know, there was so much more to be done because right after that T-shirt competition, we launched a scholarship initiative with one of mm -hmm. the biggest art programs in, in Rio at the time, Pahilaji. Uh, and we expected it to be, you know, competitive. But for the 20 spots that we were opening, we received over 700 applications, wow. which just showed us <laughs> how much, you know, the arts needed our support at the time. And for another reason, uh, during that fair, I met uh, who is now my co-founder, Renata. She's actually mm -hmm. here with me and will join us for a little bit of the conversation. As soon as, you know, uh, we come a little bit back into to the arts. And that's when, you know, the company really started to taking taking steps into becoming a tech company, not just mm -hmm. an initiative. Shortly after that, we met uh, Aroldo, who is now our CTO, and he's been with us as well since inception. And we started putting together uh, the guidelines for what is now Alpha A Inc. So mm -hmm. that first contact was was really, really important for us. It kind of like drove us to make this into a full-time 
company, which is, you know, now touching the lives of thousands or millions of people. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about a little bit um, about your childhood. You know, you were immersed in the art world, your father and uncle founding one of the oldest galleries and your mother being an artist. How did this experience influence you later as an entrepreneur? So when I was a child, it was a little boring because, you know, I wanted to go to Disney World and I kept going to the MoMA. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it, you know, and, and I remember I was always like sitting in the chair. I can't stand looking at this Jackson Pollock anymore. Yeah. But now I'm very thankful because just being immersed in art from an early age uh, made me much more conscious about, you know, just the different movements and how art should be just appreciated and accepted to what it does to you rather than what, you know, you've heard about it. And I got to thinking of that since from a very young age, I remember the first time I saw Van Gogh's story is starry nights in person. Mm -hmm. And he was an artist that we also did a play in, in school about just looking at the effect of the paintbrush and how much paint he actually dabbled onto the canvas. I could tell that there was so much feeling in those works and that's what art is for me it's you know it's how it makes you feel mm -hmm. uh, what about uh, the experience of working in the financial industry why lean towards that <laughs> and then come back to art later so i rebelled i was the black sheep <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to you know make money make money for other people and uh and you know i love finance i love economics i love building out models our our, our company is very well thought out in terms of business plan as well. Uh, we're one of the few art companies that actually has negative working capital, which means we get paid before we have to actually pay our suppliers. Mm. And since we're 100% inventory free, this makes scaling very easy. Uh, and this came from my financial experiences. But at the same time, the motivation to really start the company also came uh, by looking at commodities. I was reading Mark Rich's bio, King of Oil, and looking at the oil market in the 60s and the art market nowadays, there were just so many similarities. And that was around the same time that I met Renata and we started talking about how we could bring more transparency into this market. Yeah. And so you guys are basically connecting people and businesses to the visual arts. Tell me about your guys' mission and how the solution is empowering the connection between market and artists. Absolutely. So uh, we're a B2B marketplace. This is something that came after we launched in 2017. There was a quick pivot and we connect companies to the visual arts. So how Alpha essentially works is we license artwork by thousands of artists and we drop ship limited edition prints, which are produced in, in three continents. Right now, we have supply chain in place in North America, South America, and Europe. And mm -hmm. this really allows us to import and export art without the hassle of logistics, cross-border taxation, uh, and really create uh, globally sourced art that is always produced locally. Mm. And with the marketplace and you know the blockchain tech that you guys are using, you're really helping to proliferate some of this intellectual property around the world of these artists. So aside from the financial benefits for both you and the artists, why is it important for you to help these artists grow and get their work out there? Well, I think I'd actually like to bring Renata in for that one because she is the woman of the artists. So she can tell about, you know, how we're actually making a difference in, in their lives, which is something she sees on a daily basis. <laughs> Hi. Um, so, no, we can share this one. But I think in the very beginning, what we felt was that like we could accelerate the career of a lot of very talented people. And by being insiders of this 
24 hours. We saw that many, many times. It's not about you having the skills as an artist and like being talented. It's about mm-hmm. your connections and where I'm going to go. And uh, a lot of the times having the means like, to be at those places and invest in your career. So by joining Alpha, an artist can have that step on the back that is going to be crucial for him or her to continue being an artist and maybe not have to have a side job. So you could focus exclusively in being an artist, like uh, creating, like doing your practice, which is so important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think... Yeah, and, and giving finding more a chance. yeah exactly that's exactly what it is giving more people a chance mm-hmm. providing opportunities having these open calls which really do empower a lot of change as well there's so much behind just giving people a chance a chance mm-hmm. and the arts are traditionally a market which are, are elitist and selective when they shouldn't be you know mm-hmm. artists are creatives they're amazing people and they want to share their voice with the world yeah, we have a tagline at Alpha that says that art uh, should be a right and not a privilege. And mm-hmm. that's both for the creative side and the consumer. So we, we definitely believe that like if like an artwork is not going to please everyone, there is definitely an artwork that would please like, like every single person. You know, like you, you can also participate. It shouldn't be too exclusive. <laughs> right. It just seems like a strong drive for you guys to make art available for the consumer as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, making Absolutely. That, yeah, absolutely. And that's where, you know, our pricing model was built. Uh, and I think, you know, there's great examples of big artists that are represented by Alpha or, or you know, or produce works by Alpha. And on their gallery life, they'll sell for several thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And we work with them in creating editions that are affordable or below a thousand dollars, which is a completely new uh, type of customer for them. But at the same time, this gives the customer an opportunity to, you know, break into the market in a way. Right. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go. All right. Uh, Let's talk about some of the things that are uh, really setting you guys apart. So one of the first thing is you guys are a crowdsourcing platform, Um, you know, work with artists all around the world. How did you guys first discover which artists to work with in the beginning? Ah, okay. So we usually say that, you know, uh, we, the up and coming artist is, is very easy to work with because he's looking for access Mm -hmm. and the, the artist, which is further along in their career is also easy to work with because they're looking for new tools and they Mm -hmm. like to help, you know, the initial artists. And I think that that was so true by the t-shirt initiative that we launched where we brought in all of the big artists from Latin America and they donated these works, which then funded scholarships for the young artists. Mid-career has always been a tough segment for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's usually where, you know, the artist has had a little bit of success. They've had their first gallery show and they they're insecure about trying something new about Mm. showing their work online, about having prints, which are accessible. So that's a segment that, I'd say it's the only segment that we don't really do a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And so then the the second piece that's really big for you guys is holding no inventory, your print on demand, and in, in the country that the customer is basically doing business, so you don't have to deal with things like logistics or taxation. Um, this is really huge. So do people really um, value a print, uh, like a print on demand, as much as maybe some of the other mediums where the... Older industries might have paintings or whatever that they're selling. 
I think the perfect example is hospitality, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody thinks of, of the lobbies because that's where the unique artwork is. But the bulk of the project is within the rooms. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, we place all of the additions. And so it, it, it creates a, uh, an easy partnership with, with local artists to develop these common areas and local curators. And at the same time, it, it creates the potential to maybe show the interior designer's vision through an artist that could be miles away, but has a connection with that city. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how are you guys using, um, you know, the audience feedback, you're using a lot of analytics for the artists and whatnot. Um, using the basically technology you could to kind of disrupt an outdated market? Well, uh, I think the first thing is curation. Absolutely. We, we created a, a platform which is AI infused. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of different filters and, you know, things that you can select and the platform will create your own collection of artwork based on a, a very simple questionnaire. This is extremely innovative, like back in the day to, to, to find uh, a piece which would fit on the size that you're looking for, budget that you're looking for, was a real hassle, especially right. if you go directly to a gallery. Uh, one, the, the pricing is completely unaffordable. And two, there's just a limited source of artwork in terms of sizing and, and you know, pricing. Uh, and um, I think the other thing is just the speed of fulfillment, which mm. comes from, you know, the way that we've built the, the supply chain. Uh, on, in the olden days, you'd you'd have to ship a sculpture, let's say from you know North America to South America. This would be stuck in customs. You'd have to right. get a crate made for it. So the whole process can take maybe three months. Now you can have an incredible three D printed sculpture, which can be even a it can even be a unique three D printed sculpture, which you know great artists like Frank Stella are already dabbling in, which can be produced on demand for that project and delivered in a week. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, how has it been managing the different distribution channels across uh, different countries? It's a tech solution. Uh, mm-hmm. We have an API that basically selects the closest uh, supplier to that end customer. It, it then ship, sends over the high-res image. Uh, and uh, we are now developing our, our blockchain platform for certification. So mm-hmm. that this way, you know, once the client receives his work, no matter where the world it is, there's a QR code on the back. He can scan uh, and come back to his vault, which is a collection of all of the works he's purchased before, uh, and access his his token, which is essentially his certificate of authenticity. Keep it there or transfer ownership within the click of a button. This way, you know, there's a trust network created that the the work and the certificate must have the same owner in order to have any value. Mm-hmm. And it, with using the blockchain, um, this really helps to basically facilitate some sort of scarcity and um, uniqueness to each art piece. Are you guys using it in that way? Absolutely. <laughs> Since we only produce limited editions, uh, you know, each certificate is, is completely assigned to that image number. Uh, and uh, we price based on scarcity, which means the first editions are always going to be less expensive than the last editions as well. Hmm. Well, uh, for our listeners, what is a little bit of advice you would have for early stage uh, startup founders that are basically trying to identify places that they can disrupt in an outdated market, such as the art market? Uh, Firstly, know the market very, very well. It's not something that comes overnight. Sometimes, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of sectors in prop tech, which are a little crowded, but need to be disrupted. I think the best person 
will always win. The person that mm-hmm. knows the market it, in its best, listen to your clients. Uh, I think that's why we built such a great product because it's, it's always changing and it's always iterating according to what we use to deliver the best solution to our client. Mm-hmm. How are you guys uh, collecting the feedback from both, you know, the artists, but then also the businesses that you're serving? Uh, we have, you know, a team that works with us in doing user interviews, client interviews. Uh, we have a, a new intern, uh, an MBA student, which is helping us organize all of that material and creating a new uh, system to, to develop these different touch points, optimize these different touch points, bring them in into a CMS that we built custom to, you know, have feedback, be a constant part of the, the user journey. Um, with a marketplace platform, one of the big problems is either kind of playing cat or mouse, which one are you going to build first? The, you know, the artist side, having all these people that can provide the art or the customer side of the businesses. Where did you guys focus in first in building? I don't want to say this, but I kind of want to (laughs) say it at the same time. I think we built the boat, the two at the same time. Obviously that t-shirt initiative that we talked about created critical mass on both sides because Mm -hmm. we had our first clients and we sold almost $30,000 worth of t-shirts in a week which just showed, you know, the huge potential there as well, because they were all limited editions. But we also attracted those 700 artists that, you know, Mm -hmm. came for the opportunity to be shown. So it's hard to do the two at the same time. And I think if I could give some advice is look for clusters, especially Mm -hmm. on the the talent side, because it's a way easier way to to scale. Mm, Yeah. Um, Is there any resource book, program anything that has helped you develop better as a founder and leader uh lean startup that's like the bible <laughs> bold what do you have innovators dilemma. innovators dilemma uh hard thing about the hard thing hard thing about hard things is, is a tough one as well but mm. it's good uh let's see what else i've read something oh influence is good as well on the marketing mm. side Mm-hmm. And take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt. The the one thing that take very, very seriously is listen to your customers. Right, right. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of your values and um, things that you do in business. Um, I was reading in a uh, uh, thing that you wrote that you basically had lost a job in a, or lost out on a job in a private equity firm because of yeah. the notion that women cry. And so how have uh, you cultivated your mentality as a female founder to overcome these labels and biases? Firstly, I do cry a lot. And I think, you know, <laughs> accepting that we cry is is the first step. Mm-hmm. Uh, and understanding that sometimes you're a better founder because you cry, because you accept defeat. And at the moment that, you know, I, I deal with whatever it is that made you cry, it's important to accept that, you know, I'm feeling this for this reason. How can I be better in the future? And I think female founders are more resilient mm-hmm. because we take so much from every different side. We've been in so many meetings where the guy sometimes just wants to, you know, assert power or whatever it is that you're forced to build a better business because you come in with facts mm-hmm. instead of, you know, dreams. And we've heard this from a number of our investors. Female founders are much more down to earth and much more conservative. And they've told me millions of times, make your models more aggressive, make your models more aggressive. But I actually, I think it's it's okay to be more conservative. Uh, we live by the under promise over deliver. And so far it's been great. Mm. 
And how have you guys been partnering um, to do the, the female empowerment initiatives? Uh, so we we spoke to a group of Southeast Asian artists uh, a couple of years ago and, a, and a, a female curator as well. Obviously, the challenges that women face in India are astronomical. So mm-hmm. that was a big part of, of our journey there was, you know, getting these voices out. Uh, Latin America is another market that even though, you know, there are women seem to have a more active voice. There's a different type of pressure that we face. Uh, so, you know, it's, a, it's another group of women that we've supported. We've done events with uh, a collective called Grupo 11, um, which is a group of female Latin American artists out of Yale uh, and just creating this space to get the stories out marketing it, speaking about it, and, you know, showing the artwork, which is always very, very strong and powerful. Mm, Yeah, that's awesome. You mentioned being shielded growing up in Brazil and kind of getting stuck in these like web of patterns from, you know, the life that was around you all the time. How did you break free from those? You talked about a little bit about rebelling and what values you still keep from then? Oh, it was a battle. It was a battle. Like telling my mom that I was not going to be a housewife was was a long conversation. And I think it lasted maybe most of my life. Uh, but now she respects me so much more for it, for, you know, having a career, for leaving, for, you know, making my own position. I wish I could do more in empowering women in Brazil and in giving them more tools. But being in New York is the best place in the world for us to be because there's so much capacity for change and people are always willing to listen. And sometimes you need to be outside of your own country to be taken seriously, which is a weird notion, but it's the biggest truth. Mm -hmm. And now how do you kind of connect that back to the home country and, um, you know, kind of being like the warrior that goes out and then comes back and, you know, saves people back there. We have a lot of Brazilian artists, a lot Mm -hmm. of Brazilian artists. And I think, you know, they want to work with us because they respect the two of us as, you know, leaders, as female founders, as people who do things in a different way. And they want to be associated to us and we want to bring their voices forward. I think Mm -hmm. the latest thing that we did was um, an initiative around rainforest conservation, uh, where we did an open call and what, 50 percent of the winners were women. Uh, yeah, more or less. More or less? Yeah. 50%. And they were all Brazilian women, and we had some of them out here for the show. We had a talk, kind of like talking about the issues that we face and just shining a light on the issue and, and making sure that the rest of the world knows. Mm, yeah, that's powerful. Let's talk about the, the relationship between you and Renata um, growing together as friends and founders. Um, I even seen that you guys had like a near death cycling experience together. So I think she you, has to come back for that one as yeah. well. <laughs> you really did your research well. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, tell me a little bit about how you guys have grown together um, from, you know, when you first started the business. Um, yeah, I think, like, in my opinion, what made us a strong team was that we saw each other, like, in the very beginning, obviously, as uh, business partners. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. that, like, we were best friends, and because of that, we decided to do a company together, which I think, like, a lot of the times, it's people's mistake. Uh, like, we, we saw each other very 
complementary, like, and uh, at the same time with very similar goals. So it was like that excitement, you know, like when you have like that passion, which is quite weird and you find that right. one person who shares that with you. So that's what like in the beginning brought us together. And uh, I was living in New York at the time <laughs> and Manuel was in Rio and we didn't know each other too well. Like, and it was that leap of faith that we both had a uh, good feeling that like uh, it had to work like somehow. And uh, yeah, thank God we did it. Yeah, and, and the, the leap of faith that she mentions is the fact that she moved to Rio. <laughs> but, uh, she was supposed to spend two months and ended up staying two years. Oh, wow. And that's yeah. how we developed the MVP and how we, you know, became friends and, and had, you know, so many different mm-hmm. bonding moments that were both only childs. Mm-hmm. And it's like we, we, we both needed each other to gain kind of like almost this, this sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the strongest things about Alpha is we love partnerships. The, the partnership being like like ours with our ter- third co-founder, uh, which is the technical side as well. Like, and also like we're constantly working with uh, people from outside or bringing like like it, it's a team effort, and uh, I think that's the only way to to do it. Like when everyone manage to identify identify their best skills like and bring into the team people who are like better than yourself on other things and share like an uh, a common goal you know co-founders is one of the reasons that a lot of startups fail because they aren't on the same page they aren't using each other's strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. um, how do you guys kind of approach that relationship between you two and then the relationships that you partner with other people so I think, you know, uh, number one, we're very different, like mm-hmm. so different in so many different ways. Uh, I'm a much more rational person, but at the same time, it's what I tell you. I cry a lot. I have a lot of mm-hmm. feelings and very emotive, et cetera. And, you know, you on the other hand. <laughs> I'm cold hearted. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, I think like, it's what she was saying, you know, like people are different. And even when you think you're similar, you're very, very different. Uh, like you can have twins and they're like complete different people. So I think it's important to acknowledge that and to have that in mind with whatever relationship you develop mm-hmm. uh, in your personal, professional life as well. And really they like, try to work on your communication. Yeah, communication, yeah, communication yeah. skills, and that's exactly how you can set, you know, the different tasks that each one of us need to achieve. Right now, like a perfect example is how we build a pitch. For example, mm-hmm. I'm usually, you know, better at public speaking, but you know, I can't design a PowerPoint for my life. <laughs> I can do five models in tw- in in a week and have all of the scenarios out there, but you know, my PowerPoints, if I was to put them together, they'll look like a Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and you know. Renata has that and emails and proposals. <laughs> she doesn't even let me edit PowerPoints anymore. <laughs> she sends them to me in PDF, but they look beautiful. No, I think everything that is a, a communi- strategy, the kind of verbal communication, it's like Manuel is much better. I'm horrible with words. Um, but like, like I've, well, I studied art, like, and like, I also like, I like be- beautiful things. You know, like, so it really bothers me when you see like a PowerPoint that like might be completely right, 
but uh, it looked ugly. Like, and we are an art company, right. so I think like I might have found like a good spot to be. <laughs> right. Um, for those that are seeking out a co-founder, how do you kind of navigate those waters and know if the relationship's going to be fruitful like yours have? Uh, forget about just, you know, skills and focus mm -hmm. on core goals. I think that's why, you know, our partnership was so successful mm -hmm. because we both had that the same, I don't even want to say morals, but, you know, we wanted to get to the same place. We had different ideas about the path. Mm. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it's like as hard or harder than finding like a partner like for your life. Like uh like it is a marriage, like it's right. the person that you're seeing like at least like like five days a week, like 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 I said, we're growing to being friends as well. So like a lot of like that side is shared too. Um but like it it's it's never black and and white it's never like one or the other you know like it's something it's constant work like and there are like um brighter phases like darker phases like and like you know like i think at the end of the day like manuel said this today it's a marathon and it's not a sprint right. so just need to have that in mind like and be resilient because like like yeah find someone you like to run together yeah, and, 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 it'll and it's not because like there will be hard moments that like everything is lost, you know, like I think mm -hmm. like, the same way that like it's not like one way or the other. Like I think like, like, yeah, like there are shitty moments. There are moments that like she hates me. I hate her. Like, and like we hate our job. Like, and we like there are moments when like we're super, super happy with like all of the above as well you know like and and you just need to be prepared and appreciate the good times even better like yes. even more <laughs> celebrate celebrate the achievements for sure yeah. what yeah. Uh, art is both kind of in your own rights a something that like you both participate in so manuela you are also a dj um <laughs> doing music as a different kind of art how does this impact you guys and allow you to express yourself um, in your business for me, it's it's amazing. I I before I, I used to think of it like you know triathlon mm. because it was a, a moment of complete disconnect, and music gives me that as well. It gives me a moment mm. of complete disconnect, which is necessary for you to go back and be a better professional. Because if you're only thinking of you know your professional life twenty four seven, you're gonna get tired and you're gonna run out of good ideas. And I think you know other outlets bring that to me. I don't know what what do you think of your gallery expeditions? Uh no, I was gonna add something about music actually. In the very beginning, when we were still based in Rio, we had uh an umbrella of Alpha, which was called Alpha Beat. So we threw parties uh sporadically, but like like we did. And the idea behind it was to bring the community together, like in a like easier, like more relaxed manner. So I think, like again, going back to that idea that like galleries can be intimidating, like and like talking, like and experiencing experiencing art, like mm -hmm. in a more relaxed way, like and like a lot of interactive works too, like you know, like. I think like here in New York, we, we tend to see that a lot, like uh, experimental spaces where we have big art installations, musicians, like, like 
everything, everything combined. Yeah, yeah, all of those different like creative universes combined. I come from a uh, architecture background and I was always questioning, you know, how beautiful can de design can help better people's lives. So how do you think art and the work that you guys are doing is doing an influence on culture and, you know, a positive impact? <laughs> Have I tried to work at a ugly space? <laughs> <laughs> I knew she was going to say that. I just going to, I knew she was going to say that. Well, there's a lot of research about, you know, the healing effects of art, about mm -hmm. how, you know, art really does build community, about, you know, how buildings, just mm -hmm. like on the financial side, buildings with stronger uh, art programs have higher return over investment capital. People pay higher rents for them. Uh, well, you know, you're an architecture background. We were yesterday inside the Zahadid building, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that's one of the most expensive buildings in the whole of New York. <laughs> right. And it's basically design. Like mm -hmm. it's next door to another building, which could be exactly the same. But the way it was projected to make living in it a much better experience. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. yeah. And I think like, like we, uh, like our generation, like at least like moves so much, like kind of like cities like New York, San Francisco, like Austin, I don't know, like, like people move because of their jobs usually, and it's not their home. So sometimes like when you're, you're moving to a white box, like, and that's like, so like you know it has nothing to do with your personality like and like right. you're gonna go buy some plain vanilla uh furniture at stores and then how do you give character to that space and i i think art plays a very important part in doing that and it's like if you put like one two artworks inside of your home that already changes everything i love ways waking up and looking at my things. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I yeah. actually have a picture from, from my hometown, a beautiful picture by an amazing photographer of someone diving in the ocean. It's in front of my bed and I wake up and I feel calm. Mm. Yeah. Do you guys think that art is a, a commodity or something that is fundamental to people's lives? Fundamental. Mm. Mm. Absolutely fundamental. It's like the need to have, want to have, need to have. Have you? Can you imagine like walking into a building and having all empty walls? It'd be ridiculous. It'd be it very be boring. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it would feel unfinished. Basically, mm -hmm. that's it. People do not like unfinished things. Mm. Life is complicated enough. They want comfort. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. And it has a very strong power to communicate things like the social environmental causes that she was talking before, you know, so like, like uh, an image is worth a thousand words. Mm -hmm. I think for us, like every artwork has that potential to tell a story. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, before I get to my last question, where can everybody find you and uh, get in touch? Alphaainc.com. Uh, check out our Republic campaign as well. It just launched. It's your chance to invest in Alpha. So republic.co-alpha-a. Uh, and, you know, on and Instagram. And in the at some of the best clubs of New York. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> the DJ duo. <laughs> Jokes <Right> apart. <laughs> and uh, my last question is, how can we push the world to evolve? How can we push the world to evolve? Uh, make it a prettier place for sure. <laughs> People that live in prettier spaces are less angry and they cause less drama. 
and, you know, and, and talk about the issues that are in front of us. Mm -hmm. Don't leave them under the, the rug, you know, and that goes for our personal relationships. That goes for the world that goes, if we just communicate better, maybe there's a better chance of solving something. Yeah. Take charge, yeah, <laughs> and connect, you know, because most likely the, the, the issues or like the, the hopes that an artist is pouring into that artwork are shared with a lot of other people. And I think like now we have uh, technological tools like the one we're building, like and so many others that help people connecting. And you can see that like, like pain points are pretty much the same no matter no matter where you in are, the world you in are the world. absolutely we're all living we're all living this time yeah mm. yeah well uh, thank you guys so much for thank coming you. on sharing thank everything you. that you had today <laughs> thank you it was very deep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hope you enjoyed it <laughs> thank you so much for listening as you know word of mouth is the number one way for things to grow evolve is not just a podcast but a movement and to help this movement grow, I would appreciate so much if you were to share this podcast episode with a friend, with another entrepreneur, with an early stage founder who needs inspiration and the tools and tactics to make an impact on this world. So please share this episode. And until next time, my friend, keep evolving.